You are listening to the 3CR podcast of In Psychedelia. In Psychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon. This is In Psychedelia on 3CR, and thank you uh, very much to Freedom of Species. Uh, back next week for their Radiothon Spectacular from 1pm. If you want to find out more about Freedom of Species, about anything you heard on the show, head to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Follow the links to the Freedom of Species program page. From there, you can subscribe to their podcast, find their website, and connect with them via social media. And while you're there, also check out the Encyclopedia program page. Uh, also head to our website where we've got a lot of information on the things that you hear on the program, including um, things like the inquiries um, that we're going to be talking about uh, this afternoon, talking about an inquiry into the uh, roadside drug testing regime, the RDT regime in Victoria, uh, because, as we've talked about on the program before, the RDT program does not determine between impairment and whether or not they can, those devices that they use can detect whether or not somebody had a drug. The two are not the same. Um, just because somebody has had a drug at some point that that device can detect does not mean that they are impaired. My name is Nick, and as you may have guessed, if you've not heard this show before, it is a show about the uh, very the complexities of drug issues in our society, uh, the interactions between the altered states caused by plant synthesized chemicals and fungi that people have been using for thousands of years, uh, and the um, and the social and political issues that arise around those. Uh, so this afternoon on the show, we will be hearing from Fiona Patton, uh, who recently uh, got up a motion to have an inquiry into cannabis regulation heard uh, by the uh, Upper House, by the Legal and Social Issues Committee. Uh, so we'll be talking to her. Also hearing from Dr. Stephen Bright from AOD Media Watch, aodmediawatch.com.au, uh, about guidelines for journalists around uh, drug and alcohol reporting reporting and also the uh, decision this week uh, that alkyl nitrites would be rescheduled by the TGA in a variety of ways including one being rescheduled to uh, schedule three which is uh, available through the pharmacy only but you do not need a prescription to buy it uh, there's pros and cons with this model um, but it's um, it's it's a step in the right direction I think from the TGA uh, which is normally quite a uh, conservative body especially when it comes to um, substances that might not really have a, a therapeutic purpose although there is a, a, an argument to be made for therapeutic per- uh, uses of certain alcohol nitrites um, uh, especially above others uh, this is uh, in psychedelia uh, on 3CR but first up this afternoon we're going to have a bit of music from uh, Spoonbill Spoonbill who has been uh, glitch hop uh, wonkadelic officiando for um, many years um, across Australia's festival scene and across the world, who launched the new album Canopy last night at the meat market in North Melbourne uh, with the art car slash bass music bug Uki, or Yuki, uh, also in attendance, which has been out at White Night, been out at many festivals. Uh, it's an impressive little um, creature, and it always seems to be getting a little bit more impressive uh, every time. So this is from Spoonbill's new album. You can check it out, uh, spoonbill.net.au. Uh, it is Open Misere on In Psychedelia on 3CR.
That's right, it is Radiothon time for the next uh, week and a bit. Our Radiothon special will be next weekend, um, but please do uh, subscribe. Um, please do help us to fund the station. Uh, $200 allows us to podcast your favourite show so you can listen back anytime. You don't have to be the one that's uh, fully committing that $200 as well. Even just a part of that, you can pay a quarter, uh, a tenth, Every little bit counts towards helping everything continue going here at uh, at 3CR. Uh, at the moment, 3cr.org.au is a good place to head if you want to uh, donate. That's uh, via the website. Or you can pop in uh, to the uh, studios here at 21 Smith Street or send a cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 uh, Collingwood, uh, Victoria 3066. This is in Psychedelia. Uh, on 3CR, and um, right now on the line, we have a consultant uh, for the, uh, well, consultant in, in sort of all things vice, let's say. This is Jared Bartle. Jared, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. That's all right. Now, is that is that a fair um, fair description, the, the consultant of all things vice? I tend to, I do either that or sex, drugs, and crime is my, is my <laughs> niche. So, se- sex, drugs, and crime, and uh, at the moment, maybe uh, sex and drugs is what we're going to be talking about. Well, I suppose there's a criminal element there as well, or, or the, the, well, we it's the changing of it. criminal element. Exactly. Luckily. So, what we're talking about is the um, TGA's uh, decision to reschedule alkyl nitrites in a, in a variety of ways. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit of background for those that um, uh, might not have heard about this happening? Sure. So uh, last year, there was a bit of a surprise announcement that the TGA were going to reschedule alkyl nitrites, also known as poppers, um, a quite commonly used uh, substance used by the LGBT community. Um, They were planning to reschedule all alkyl nitrites into Schedule 9 under the Therapeutic Goods scheduling. Um, And what that would have meant is that uh, poppers or alkyl nitrites would have been in a prohibited substance category and uh, it would have carried over into actually criminalising the possession of that substance. Um, There was initially supposed to be a decision end of last uh, year that was delayed uh, because of outrage by the LGBT community. And this week we got a final decision on what they're actually going to do with alkyl nitrites. And should uh, clarify here that alkyl nitrites is the name of a whole range of different chemicals, alkyl being a, um, uh, a placeholder for a variety of different uh, chemicals so uh, or, or chemical structures. Um, so these are amyl nitrite, uh, butyl nitrite, isobutyl nitrite, isoamyl nitrite. There's a, there's a whole variety uh, of alkyl nitrites, and um, these have largely been sold uh, in adult stores, but um, often branded as... Uh, something like leather cleaner or tape cleaner because they're not uh, sort of weren't really meant to be sold um, for consumption. But with brand names like Rush, Jungle Juice, Colt Leather, uh, Amsterdam Special Leather, these are the sorts of um, names that you you may have heard of or maybe you're not aware of these. Um, so the decision, uh, I mean, how's it going to affect the way that people can can access these? Well, it's going to depend uh, what follows from it. So, so the final decision was that, uh, first of all, none of the alkyl nitrites were moved to Schedule 9, okay? So none of them have moved into this particular prohibited category. Um, one version of alkyl nitrite, uh, isopropyl nitrite and n-propyl nitrite, 
Um, those were put into Schedule 10, so they're completely prohibited from, from sale in any way. Um, all other alkyl nitrites stayed within their old category, which was Schedule 4, which means you couldn't access it without a prescription. And most surprisingly, amyl nitrite um, was actually moved to Schedule 3, which means that uh, theoretically, uh, I mean, practically it should be that you can get that within a pharmacy. Um, now, the reason I'm, I'm a bit reluctant to say that this now means that we can get amyl nitrate in a pharmacy is that, that that's going to depend on the cooperation of the pharmacist in actually stocking that product. Right, so it'll be up to uh, yeah, up to the farm individual pharmacist on whether or not they uh, they do stock it. You would think it would sort of make sense. I mean, extra profit, aren't these people business people at the end of the day? But uh, uh, there may be some uh, some moral quandaries from certain pharmacists. Is that the suggestion? I think it's uh, so. The the rescheduling specifically says amyl nitrite when in preparations for human therapeutic use and right. packaged in a certain way. Um, now, as, as far as I'm aware, there isn't a manufacturer that is currently manufacturing amyl nitrite in in a way that um, that 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 is something that could just be stocked into a pharmacy. Um, my understanding is that you would need to go to a, a compounding pharmacy who would have to have all of the the materials to kind of create a, a product for you on site. And so this is, there's kind of a resource limitation as well as a cooperation by the actual pharmacist. So this would be a, a fairly significant shift for the way that the market operates right now. And and actually, maybe there's a bit of a um, an unintended consequence or unintended effect here that um, lowering the schedule for amyl nitrite, um, which is good if, if pharmacies want to stock it, but still... Won't it still kind of mean that the adult stores could still be selling these things and actually face less of a penalty than they currently faced? They were still stocking them, and they were still facing penalties if um if that was followed up. So I mean, what it, it, this is a strange scenario. It's a, it's a very odd scenario, and I suppose the worst case or the worst situation that could come from this is if they. Um, but that we don't have this cooperation from pharmacies and so it's not stocked in pharmacies and then they were to ramp up enforcement on adult stores because then we would be in a situation where it would be a completely black market situation with alcohol nitrites uh, and, you know, there's, there's no safety controls associated with that. So hopefully this means that we're moving somewhere forward and not going backwards, but it's, it's going to depend on how the pharmacies respond to this rescheduling. Uh, there was also maybe a, um, a a bit of a bright side. As you mentioned, there were two of the nitrites that were scheduled, uh, scheduled 10, um, which mm. is um, completely restricted. But the reason why they were uh, restricted was there, there's been a few reports um, popping <laughs> about lately uh, where um, I think it was isobutyl nitrite was um, causing ocular damage. Uh, so the nerves at the back of your eyes, because people sniff these bottles and um, yep. it can can reach up where your ocular nerves are, um, there was reports of some damage being caused so that people were having eyesight problems. And it appears that it's it's not all the nitrites. It's just, uh, I think it was isobutyl um, nitrite. Uh, isopropyl. Isopropyl. Yeah, so they're the ones that have been moved to Schedule 10. In, in recognition of these early reports, there might be some damages that damage associated with those products, which was which is a great thing to come out of part of that the, the discussions that the TGA did have with the LGBT community.
So this is, I mean, this is a almost, I feel like it's an almost unprecedented result from the TGA. Normally, uh, I mean, I've seen other sorts of discussions around um, substances that are used in a more uh, a more recreational, I suppose, um, manner, uh, and people putting forward uh, changes to the TGA, and nothing happens. They just make their decision, and it, it doesn't change anything, and they don't really listen. So this is this is quite impressive. There was, as, as you say, like a huge effort from the LGBT community. Um, but have you, I mean, is this something that you've seen before in your time working around these sorts of um, issues? No. I mean, I think the main lesson is don't mess with the gays, really. <laughs> um, it, uh, it is very unusual to downschedule, is, is my understanding of, of you know, seeing these... Cu- things going forward, getting something down scheduled is such a difficult process and all credit goes to LGBT organisations, particularly public health oriented organisations. Thorn Harbour Health have done a lot of work in this area um, and I have seen, and I think it's, it's fair enough, um, people within supporters of, of legal, uh, law reform in relation to vape or medicinal cannabis, they're starting to look at what the LGBT community groups have done to change the TGA's mind and see whether or not they can learn something from it. Is there any particular tactic that you've seen that stood out to you um, in in the uh, approach from LGBT communities to lobbying for these changes? I think I think it was just, just noting the impact of the TGA decision on a vulnerable sector of the population and really highlighting the disconnect between the people who work at the TGA and how they think about substances and how the community thinks about substances and was using substances because uh, they completely misread the room and it was made very, very clear to them that they needed to look further into this. Well, it's um, it's a bit of pros and cons. Um, we'll have to wait and see how this all pans out because I think it's a few months until the uh, scheduling decision uh, comes into play. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So we'll still have to wait and see, and then we'll wait and see uh, how pharmacies uh, respond uh, to this rescheduling and also maybe how the uh, adult stores respond where people are currently buying their product, how the whole market responds, really. Uh, So uh, an interesting one to watch and an interesting uh, decision from the TGA. Uh, Thanks very much uh, for joining us and talking to us about that today, uh, Jared. Thanks for having me on. Jared Bartle is um, our... uh, He's a... a Consultant on all things vice, sex, drugs, and um, uh, and and political issues, and talking to us there about uh, the rescheduling decision by the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the TGA, uh, for alkyl nitrites or uh, poppers, as the other name goes. This uh, is in psychedelia on three CR Community Radio. We will be hearing from Fiona Patton about the. Uh, Uh, inquiry into cannabis regulation uh, shortly, but right now I'm going to play another track from the new Spoonbill album. Uh, It's out now at spoonbill.net.au and was launched last night at the meat market in North Melbourne. This track is uh, Chewy on Your Shoe on In Psychedelia.
This is In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio 855 AM 3CR Digital 3CR.org.au uh, My name's Nick and on the line with us now we have a leader of the Reason Party in Victoria ah, well, around the country as well um, but also a member of the Legislative Council uh, in Victoria for the Upper House Oh, I mean, the Upper House is the Legislative Council I'll just, uh, Fiona Patton, welcome to the program <laughs> Good morning, afternoon Nick, how are you? Yeah, good, and, and yourself, it's been a busy few weeks? It has been a busy few weeks. Um, it seems to always be busy. It seems to always be a busy few weeks. But yeah, um, the last two weeks of Parliament have been um, busy, but good. So we came uh, came into um, into Parliament uh, the other day to uh, watch uh, only caught the tail end uh, of a uh, a debate over a motion that you put forward. So the motion is in relation to moving Victoria forward on the cannabis legalisation discussion. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, how how that went um, and, and what's next? Yes, thanks, Nick. <clears throat> it was um, I mean it was something that I had have wanted to do for a long time and it certainly was one of the priorities for me after being re-elected was to establish a significant inquiry into the regulation of cannabis. Now initially I'd had a very detailed and broad um, detailed and broad terms of reference and it was also quite directive just to say let's legalise it and let's look at how but that wasn't going to get... I wasn't going to get the numbers for that. So I reduced my terms of reference to effectively asking the question, how do we keep cannabis out of the hands of criminals and out of the hands of young people, recognising that the cannabis industry, according to the Victorian police, has a retail value of $8 billion and... Over, wow. Close to 25% of people under the 20, under the age of 25 um, regularly use cannabis. Yes, that's a that's a that's a big number of people, and um, I, I mean a lot of a lot of the concerns around cannabis regulation have been around um, potential for people to pe- more people to be using cannabis, or for there to be mental health problems. Are these the sort of things that have come up in Parliament from people that are uh, not wanting this to to move forward? What sorts of um, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, feedback have you had? I guess yeah. Look, much of much of the arguments in the chamber were. Well, in fact, there wasn't many arguments against it, surprisingly. But um, certainly the Liberal Party put up the argument, cannabis is bad, don't do it. And mm, Effective. Is- <laughs> That's right. And yes. How's that gone for everyone so far? Mm. Uh, I think, you know, most people in that chamber, and that was what was quite re- remarkable, was that there's 11 crossbenchers in that chamber, you know, with a whole range of parties, from the Greens to the LDP to the Animal Justice to the Transport Matters people, and 10 out of the 11 supported this inquiry. That's pretty impressive. So this is this is really it moving forward. That's right. That's right. And I think, you know, if we ask that question, I, I, I hope, and... You know, I, I can't I can't predetermine you know, and I certainly can't preempt what the inquiry might find. But one hopes that the inquiry doesn't. One assumes that the inquiry is not going to find that doing what we're doing now is is working. Uh, you know, as we say, an eight billion dollar industry. So we must consider 
how we could do things differently. And effectively, this is the same question that Canada posed to itself uh, three or four years ago, which led them to a legal and regulated model. And you actually went uh, with a number of uh, MPs in the last parliament uh, to places like Canada uh, and like the US um, to have a look at how regulated cannabis markets are working as part of the inquiry into drug law reform, uh, which mm. recommended in Recommendation 23 uh, that there be an investigation into the international developments in the regulated supply of cannabis for adult use and to advise the Victorian government on policy outcomes in areas. Uh, and it, you know, it's a pretty extensive report. It's a 600 fifty page report all up. Um, that's only one small part of it. Um, so is this is this what 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 of this report now, the inquiry into drug law reform, or is yeah. this the next step? Look, this is this is a deeper dive, Nick, and I, I you know, I was I was I was disappointed that the government uh, in their response to that, as you say, really detailed and significant inquiry did not respond to the uh, to the individual recommendations. And they were completely silent on look further investigating um, how other jurisdictions or and and how we should regulate uh, cannabis. So this is, as I say, it's a deeper dive into that. It's looking at cannabis being the most widely used substance that is illicit substance um, in Victoria and in Australia. And I think it's well overdue to have the conversation about that. You know, we've kind of ignored it. We've sort of said, oh, well, we'll just do diversion. We'll just do this. Um, But we haven't asked the question, you know, is that working? Is that making people safer? You know, as I bang on, I mean, the size of the illicit market for such a popular product should give cause for concern to our parliamentarians and... I think certainly there's a growing understanding, even amongst people like the police, that what they're doing now is having absolutely no effect on the cannabis market. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that's the thing that I think MPs who don't support looking at a different option to prohibition need to be asking themselves. They need to be asking, well, has any of this made anything better all of this prohibition yeah. that's been happening around cannabis are there fewer cannabis users uh, are people right. that have uh, have issues with yeah. cannabis receiving effective support now uh, or are yes. they are they getting are they getting criminal penalties and getting worse issues going on it, that needs to be the question that's at the at the forefront i mean there's oh, sorry you go that's exactly right Nick. that's exactly the the right the right question you know when we we actually looked at one of the sort of facts, fun facts that I presented in my, my argument for this is that 20, 11% of people under 25 smoke tobacco. And there's a growing number of young people who have never um, even tried tobacco because we have been able to educate and regulate that product. 22% of that same cohort um, are regularly using cannabis. So twice as many people are using an illegal drug than a legal one. So I think that says a lot about the current regulatory failure. There's a, um, a number of other 
uh, benefits to cannabis regulation um, other than we're not spending all of this money on uh, yeah. criminal penalties for people that maybe uh, don't deserve it. Um, in in the, uh, the original Victorian uh, Drug Law Reform Inquiry report, uh, in the US, it was found Colorado had $230 million uh, that was added to their to their coffers, to the state coffers that went to the uh, Colorado Department of Education between 2015 and 2017, which funded school construction, early literacy, bullying prevention and behavioural health. Uh, Oregon putting 40% of their marijuana, uh, the cannabis tax review uh, to its school fund again, depositing $34 million so far. Uh, and that also distributed 20% of that to alcohol and drug trade. So we're actually seeing that money uh, instead of going into the hands of, uh, of of criminals who are going to spend it however they're going to spend it. We're seeing it put back into the state into actually helping some of these issues rather than rather than throwing more police at it and thinking that that's helping it. Uh, and you said $8 billion in Victoria. That's right. That's right. So certainly the regulation of it is, is a way of um, getting some of the income from from that from that black market and preventing it from falling into the hands of criminals, but it's also about the ability to educate and about the ability to research and investigate this product. You know, much of the the lack of research around medicinal cannabis and its um, positive effects on on our health um, is because it's been an illicit substance. So we have not been able to do the sorts of investigations into it. We also know that where it's available, we see um, opioid overdoses decline enormously. And, you know, fundamentally, I I think we've just also got to recognise that what we've been doing for the last 70 years has not worked. It has not stopped anyone from accessing cannabis. It possibly has made that cannabis use more dangerous um, and it has certainly made a lot of criminals very wealthy. So the um, the inquiry is going to be going ahead now. It's on the Parliament website. It's going to be heard by the Legal and Social Issues Committee in the Upper House. Uh, who else is on that committee? Uh, the main people on the committee are... We've got um, Ms Bagalia, uh, Dr Hugh from the Labor Party, uh, Wendy Lovell and Craig Ondarchi from the Liberal Party, and Tanya Max... Oh, sorry, Jane Garrett, also from the Labor Party, and Tanya Maxwell from the Darren Hinch Justice Party. There's also been a whole bunch of people who come on board as participating members, but that's that's the core group. And, you know, it was interesting hearing the Justice Party speak, and it wasn't Tanya, but Stuart Grimley, her um, colleague, who was up until he was elected in November was a police officer. And he spoke very positively about the inquiry and also very forcefully and firmly about the fact that what police are doing now is not working uh, and and it won't and they need to change their tact and in fact bringing it inside the tent as it were by some form of legal regulation would have a much greater effect. So the um, 
the report is due to be tabled in Parliament uh, in less than a year's time, 2nd of March 2020. Uh, Terms of reference prevent young people and children from accessing and using cannabis in Victoria, protect public health and public safety in relation to the use of cannabis in Victoria, implement uh, implement health education campaigns and programs to ensure children and young people are aware of the dangers of drug use, in particular cannabis use, prevent criminal activity relating to the illegal cannabis trade in Victoria and assess the health, mental health and social impacts of cannabis use on people who use cannabis, their families and carers. Um, so it's, it's sort of a relatively conservative um, uh, list, but yeah. I, the, I suppose the point here is that you're going to be focusing on the problems without, without having prohibition as the necessary answer to those problems that's because right. that's what we've seen over and over and it yeah. hasn't, hasn't helped. So yeah. what's next it's in the inquiry process? Mm. I get, sorry, can you say that again? Oh, it's just uh, saying what, what's next in, in this inquiry process? Okay. Will there be trips yeah. overseas? or? Uh, I, I, I would hope so. I would hope that we will get to um, look at, you know, look at how, how other models work or, or don't work. Um, I, I also hope that we hear from a lot of people who use cannabis because that is the silent voice. We do not hear from the users themselves about what they think would be a better model, what would make their lives better, what would make their lives safer and healthier. So I hope that we hear from a lot of, of, of people who, 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 who use cannabis. Um, the, the term, the, I think the reporting date will probably be um, postponed. I don't want to rush this inquiry. I think this is a really important inquiry and I'm very happy if we take our time. New Zealand is going to introduce legislation, um, model legislation at the end of this year for their um, cannabis referendum in November next year. We'll see Canada roll out the stage two of their legislative regulation um, at the beginning of next year. So... The world is changing, and I and I, I want this. I want this inquiry to be allowed to soak that up and and get a great, a, a much greater and more detailed understanding about how the world is changing on this. And I, I feel, you know, and 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 how people's attitudes are also changing because I certainly think that 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 is that is occurring, you know, at a at a speed much faster than politicians' attitudes. And um, finally, um, you've mentioned that uh, it's really important that people have their voices heard. Um, submission's not open yet, but um, do you know when they'll be open or are there any other ways uh, that people any, can get any, involved? Any, any day now, and if they just want to go on to the Parliamentary Legal and Social Issues Committee website, um, they will be able to submit their inquiry. They'll be able to submit submis- um, their, their submissions um, but we won't really be turning our head to them until early next year at, at the earliest. So there'll be a bit of time to get your voices yeah. heard and, and um, make right. sure that, um, that you can write something about it. And with, um, w- with the percentage of the population, that's, um, that's hundreds of thousands of people across Victoria alone. In fact, I think it, it could even be in the, in the millions, probably... Potentially millions, yeah. Potentially, yeah, potentially I don't have to do moment. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Potentially Probably not everyone. Are seven figures. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and you know, interestingly, despite prohibition, despite further regulate, you know, restrictions and and laws, cannabis use in Victoria is growing. You know, it's it's steadily 
It's steadily increasing and probably the biggest growth now we're seeing is um, in people in their 40s. Right. So it's not uh, it's not the young'uns, the ones that we're always told to worry about? That's right. You know, we do... I mean, you worry about young people because you do know that, you know, there, there are negative effects to, yeah. to certain drugs on, on people's development, both, you know, social, physical and, and, and mental. Um, and we do need to be conscious of that. But you want to be able to have an honest conversation not a just-say-no conversation, which really doesn't help anyone. And I think that's the message um, we'll finish up today on, Fiona. Thank you. Um, and the message Thanks, is Nick. a just-say-no approach doesn't work. Let's let's keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Fiona, and enjoy your trip uh, overseas. Thank you. That was Fiona Patton, leader of the uh, Reason Party, uh, the Australian well, Reason Party in Victoria, but across Australia as well, um, and uh, member of the Legislative Council. Uh, this is in Psychedelia. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. In Psychedelia on 3CR, that was Fiona Patton. If you want to find out more information about that inquiry, including keeping up to date with when submissions, when you can make a submission, uh, make sure to follow us on social media. That's in Psychedelia on Facebook and on Twitter. And check out our website as well, where, where there is a uh, post there uh, with some information on this inquiry and links to the Parliament website. Right now, uh, from the VADA, that's the Victorian Alcohol and Drugs Association 2019 conference earlier this year, this is Dr. Stephen Bright from AOD Media Watch uh, talking about the Mind Frames guidelines for reporting on drug use and the work that he's been doing with AOD Media Watch. Um, I was asked to do this presentation uh, as somebody had pulled out of this session on storytelling and I was on a, about to hop on a plane to Hobart to speak with um, a group of uh, heads of schools from public relations, communications, journalism students and so I put the abstract together on the plane and I really wasn't happy with the title, Firstly No Harm. And then I found out while, while I was talking to these people that the Australian Public Relations Organisation, that is their motto, first do no harm. And it must be interestingly interpreted given that these are the people that are developing the campaigns like Drinkwise. So there's a bit of a story behind that. And there's a story behind this because AOD Media Watch was actually launched here two years ago. Um, and so I'm hoping today to provide a bit of a, an update as to what's happened in the past two years, a rationale as to why AOD Media Watch was established in the first place, focusing on the iatrogenic effects. And what I've come to see is, is how, particularly through that, that abstract that I wrote and then meeting with these heads of departments, is how the media can actually have positive impacts. <coughs> and that's what we're not seeing so much of is and so what I'd like to see moving forward in the future is that positive impact that the media could have in um, telling uh, in changing the narrative in the way that we understand substance use so some of the key iatrogenic effects that the media can have are those related to moral panics 
So we see that we see people, uh, you know, talking about flacker and bath salts and monkey dust, and basically telling people about new drugs that they'd never heard about until they read it on the front page of the Herald Sun. Um, it leads to reactive policy that leads to legislative changes that can actually increase harm by leading to new drugs, and I'll explain that a bit further. We have these epidemics that continue to occur, and in turn they have negative impacts as well in terms of normalising drug use. Um, people overestimate the likelihood that people are using drugs when there's a methamphetamine epidemic um, and therefore you know that it's normal to use methamphetamine because there's a methamphetamine epidemic and in addition to that it takes the focus off what the real problems are and that's what I'm going to try to unpack today as well as the stigma the impact that media reporting can potentially have on already marginalized populations in the language that's used in the media so before we had monkey dust and bar salts and mephedrone, everyone will be familiar with the reef of madness and the exaggeration of the effects of cannabis that was portrayed through the salacious story within this movie, Reef of Madness. But this is not the first moral panic that we've had. In the 16th century, King Charles II tried to ban coffee. He was, there was a propaganda campaign saying that coffee caused a range of medical ailments and he tried to ban it. The concern was that up until coffee being introduced into, into England, people would go to the pub, drink beer, talk politics, get pissed and forget about how they were going to solve all the problems to the world. Now they were going to coffee houses, drinking coffee, talking about the political issues, and they were remembering what was going on. He was, he, was, he was scared that he was going to be overthrown as the king, and so he tried to ban coffee. In the 60s, it was LSD. In the 80s, there was the crack epidemic, certainly in the US. In the 90s, we had the heroin epidemic. And in the 2000s, I call it the ice epidemic part one because it was the John Howard ice epidemic. Um, in the 21st century, we've seen the emergence of legal highs, um, which have been more commonly referred to now as synthetic drugs. Um, the media like to talk, to talk about them as synthetic drugs because synthetic drugs, of course, are more dangerous than drugs, drugs, natural drugs. <laughs> because synthetic things are more dangerous than natural things, aren't they? Because, you know, asbestos is safe, arsenic's safe, cyanide's safe, all of these things as natural products. So the media draw on this in telling their stories to create this moral panic. Um, Australia was actually one of the first countries to ban BZP, the products that were being sold as legal highs. This led to new legal highs overseas, including um, the dove feeders, which were found to contain probably uh, a drug that was probably the, the first big synthetic um, legal high moral epidemic. It contained a cathinone analogue called 4-methylmethcathinone. As the media called it, meow meow. I've never heard anybody call it meow meow. <laughs> never. I've, I've met a lot of people that have used methadrone. Nobody calls it meow meow. The only person I've heard call it meow meow is Tracy Grimshaw on a current affair. <laughs> and she said it's called meow meow because people take it and they meow like a cat. <laughs> I am serious. <laughs> And so, as this drug emerged in the UK, there was moral panic. Within six months, 52 fatalities reported in the UK newspapers. So that's the UK alone. 
As the autopsies came in, it turned out that only two cases of these 52 cases reported were actually directly related to mephedrone. So this moral panic though had led by that time to mephedrone being a banned drug in the UK. And just as an example, this, this Meow Meow kills two teens. Meow Meow didn't kill these two teens. Unfortunately, these guys maybe didn't do too well at school. Maybe they were a bit dyslexic. They went online and they ordered themselves some methadone, not methadrone. Now, methadrone's active about 200 to 500 milligrams, so they took 200 to 500 milligrams of methadone. They did not die of Meow Meow. They died of a poor educational system. <laughs> So in terms of how this media moral panic then impacts legislation, Caldecott talks about it in terms of this vortex of doom. So new compounds are being developed that fall outside of the law, the media get cottons onto it, moral panic emerges, the, the law then, the, the politicians, what do they do? They, they, there's, the Herald Sun's got stories about this new drug, what do they do? The politicians ban it. And so what happens? We have new drugs that emerge and around and around we go and more and more young people are being increasingly exposed to new novel chemicals that have never been seen before. Like no time we have ever existed in society. And so the way I've understood moral panics through my PhD is through understanding the trigger event and the context. And to understand the context, I need to understand the context within the culture. And so I've typically used an approach called social constructionism. So while alcohol and other drugs might have objective pharmacological effects, they also are socially constructed by our culture. So for example, drugs have personalities. Alcohol is a bit of a larrikin. Ice is, ice is a bit nefarious. Heroin, heroin will you know, get you under the shackles. There's, so there's personalities. These, these drugs are constructed in particular ways. And these constructions limit how we can talk about drugs reasonably within society. They limit the way that journalists can talk about drugs. And so I've got an honours student at the moment who's actually doing research into this to understand what are the barriers for journalists to being able to report in a more evidence-based fashion. What is it that's leading them to report the way they do and lead to, leading them to create these salacious stories that have significant negative impacts on not just people who use drugs, but the broader society that we live in. Within social constructionism, because views of reality are culturally embedded, those views dominant at any time and place will serve the interest and perspective of those who, is, those who exercise the most power. So who in our society probably exercises the most power at the moment? Well, that's, that, that's one. Um, <coughs> Business generally. <laughs> Business, police. Uh, one story we did on AOD Media Watch was about a record drug seizure. Um, and I did this story with uh, Martin James from uh, Macquarie University. And even if we looked at the wholesale price that they were quoting that had been seized, it was still, sorry, not wholesale price, even if we're looking at a point of methamphetamine that overestimated it by seven times, that upped it by seven times, and nobody thought to fact check it. Because when the media are doing stories on alcohol and other drugs, when they're doing it on politics, they have their critical thinking hat on. When it comes to a drug story, that critical thinking hat seems to slide off very quickly. 
Uh, for my PhD, a trigger event I looked at was synthetic cannabis. So here again, this is the synthetic. Um, and the trigger event was uh, callers in April 2011 talking about this product called Chronic. They were workers on WA mine sites and they said there's this awesome stuff called Chronic. You can smoke it, you get high like cannabis and it doesn't come up in the piss test. Words spread very quickly, it hit the media, and this is a media analysis looking at the volume of news stories uh, at the bottom. And at the, what you, sorry, the top is the volume of news stories. No, I've got the wrong area. News stories at the bottom. The top is the number of people searching Google to buy chronic. So there's almost a one-to-one -one relationship. So as you tell people about these new drugs, people go out and look for them. People are curious. And so, by telling people about new drugs, we, um, we're potentially having this iatrogenic effect. And then it has this impact that we talked about on legislation. So we saw all of these, these this is a, just some of the legislative, the 40, 50 legislative changes that have been enacted to try to eliminate synthetic cannabis. In 2017, Victoria bans things that have a psychoactive effect, excluding alcohol, caffeine, tobacco, of course. <laughs> What's this do? This leads to more chemicals, which creates more harm. We see people getting the sort of word on the street is people get to know that these new drugs are not very good. They don't make you feel good. But we see an increase in the number of people presenting to EDs. So we see less use and increased harm. So this isn't harm minimisation. This is harm maximisation through the media and its interface with policy. So the ice epidemic part two. So an, an, epidem an epidemic is a sudden widespread occurrence of an undesirable phenomenon. Well, this is from the National Drug Strategy Household Survey. And the dark brow line that you can see here slowly trending downward <coughs> is methamphetamine. So clearly that doesn't fit with an epidemic. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there are not problems with methamphetamine out there. Um, because uh, well, I guess, I'm oh, sorry, I'll skip, skip back a bit. I mean, in terms of the, the ice epidemic, despite this data, there's the, the, if you ask the general public, they will say, yes, absolutely, there's an ice epidemic. Why would, haven't you read the papers? Because of stories like this, report finds WA exceeding average explosion in methamphetamine use. Methamphetamine is the most used illicit drug in the country. Really? Could there be another drug that people are using that's illicit, that's more prevalent than methamphetamine? No one thought to fact check it. Don't let the evidence get in the way of a good news story. And what, what I've learned actually through, through my work over the time with AOD Media Watch is when these things are announced, very professional packages are developed by PR uh, organisations with video photos, um, text, and so it's very easy for journalists just to whip up together a story. It makes it very easy for them, and they don't fact check it. And so we see time and time again when these are released uh, with the seizure porn, you know, with the, the guns and the money and the drugs, um, it, it, gets, it gets good publicity. And so, as I said, I, I wouldn't sit here and say that, that ice, there's not an issue with ice. We are seeing increased harms with ice. But as the National Drug Strategy shows, the, the size of the population of people who are using methamphetamine is not increasing. The size of the iceberg has not increased. But what has increased is um, the purity of the drug and the way in which people are using it 
and the patterns of use. And so the salinity of the water has changed and the iceberg has lifted up. And so there is increased ice harm, but the, the size of the iceberg hasn't changed. But while we focus on this epidemic of ice, what we fail to do is look at what's really under the water. Alcohol-related harm, and that's the story that we're not talking about in the media. 26% of Australians report that they've consumed alcohol at levels that place them at at-risk harm on a monthly basis. Nearly 50% of homicides in Australia are alcohol-related. And over 15% of people who try alcohol will become dependent on alcohol, which is significant given that 90% of Australians will try alcohol at some point in their life. This is the story that the media are not talking about. Why? Probably because they get advertising money from the media, uh, from, from the alcohol industry. Now, how can the media become a health promotion how can they provide harm reduction information and education to young people when they're telling young people that flak is the new zombie drug taking over Australia? When they're telling, that there's, telling us there's fears over a killer new drug, monkey dust? <coughs> that schoolies on the Gold Coast are spending thousands on NANG. Surely there's better drugs than spending thousands of dollars on the NANGs. <laughs> Clearly, Nick's, Nick's um, drug education hasn't worked very well if they're spending $20,000 on names for schoolies. <laughs> and in terms of stigma, then, these are, some of the head, these are some of the front pages that we've done stories on. And you can just see from the pictures, that's why I just put the pictures up, the way in which this perpetuates the stigma of people who use drugs. And we know that people internalise this stigma and that stigma that becomes internalised limits their ability to be able to access not only alcohol and other drug services, but healthcare services in general. They won't see a GP because they're scared about how they're going to be perceived by their GP. And there's evidence to show that GPs who know that people who are using drugs are, are treated worse by those GPs than people that don't use drugs. That is Dr. Stephen Bright at the uh, VADA conference earlier this year talking uh, talking about AOD Media Watch, aodmediawatch.com.au if you want to uh, have a look at the website and some of the stories that they have covered. Just trying to uh, provide a more critical eye to uh, re drug reporting in this country, uh, which, which is one of the things um, that, that upholds prohibition, unfortunately, because we don't get to hear uh, good stories in the media about drug issues. This has been In Psychedelia. Please subscribe to the podcast 3cr.org.au and head to the website inpsychedelia.org to find out more about what we've been talking about on this show. Uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. We'll be back 2 o'clock next Sunday for the Radiothon special. In the meantime, Clearing the Air is up next uh, on, in, uh, on 3CR. See you later. This is In Psychedelia. Comments, complaints or contributions are welcome. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear In Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.